I already had uh, one member uh, that participated in this morning's Sunday school class that came up to me and said, hey, since you mentioned a couple of those scriptures in our class, do I need to come to the service and hear your sermon? I won't give any names except that he's a retired Marine. The title of my sermon today is Tested by Fire. Tested by Fire. How many like to go through tests, take tests? Anybody like to take tests? Most kids don't like to take tests. How do you like to get tested by your faith? I don't think most people would volunteer to get tested by your faith and my faith. But the reality of life as a Christian is, is we will be tested by faith. So this morning, I'm going to look at two passages of Scripture. I'm going to look at 1 Peter 4, which is where I'm going to grab my points from. And then I'm going to go back to a very, very familiar story in the Old Testament. Probably most of you know it. If you had any church backgrounds, it's listed always in the top 10 of favorite Bible stories of the Old Testament. And that would be of the the three men in the fiery furnace. And we're going to look at that. And I don't have time to read all the verses, so we'll read some of them. But I would encourage you uh, today to read the whole chapter when you uh, go home. So starting off in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Hear God's holy word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now let's go to the Old Testament reading in Daniel chapter 3, starting with verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every other kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in the furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these three men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every other kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. May God add his blessing on his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ went through the fire for us. And Lord, we know that we will go through the fire at times in our lives, but you go with us. I pray, Lord, that you will take this word uh, that I speak today and to make it clear to our hearts and our minds. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes to your truth of your word. Strengthen us, encourage us, help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. I would also like, I, I would assume maybe about 60% of you or so were probably here a month ago when I preached. I preached two weeks in a row, and, and I'm going to tie these back a little bit to those sermons as well. We were talking about living in Babylon, if you recall. And for you that are going to Sunday school class in Jeremiah, we're also talking about the Jeremiah who would be prophesying about uh, the tribe of Judah being sent exiled to Babylon. And today, these three men in the Old Testament uh, are living exiles in the land of Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar came and took them and placed them in his city. But before we get into that and I tie them together, here are my three points. Three points from Peter. Number one, recognize, recognize that trials or tests are a normal part of Christian life. In other words, he says, we should not be surprised at the fiery trials. They are part of life, the Christian life, for numerous reasons. Well, number one, we live in a fallen world, right? Number two, we have an enemy out there called Satan. And by the way, number three, God uses tests and trials to what? Purify us, to make us stronger. Also, I would like to make a qualification for regards to the sermon today, it's important to note that not all difficulties of life are necessarily fiery trials because of our faith in Christ. There are some difficulties we all as human beings experience, right? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world. There are also experiences that are fiery. Why? Because we put lighter fluid and matches to our own (laughs) lives and cause fires. But what I want to focus in on today are those fires that come about because of our faith in Jesus Christ. There are times where we have to stand for our faith in Jesus Christ, and that's what I want to focus in on today. The second point, rejoice as you share in Christ's sufferings. So recognize that trials are a normal part of life. Rejoice as you share in Christ's suffering. And then most important, the third point, realize that the Holy Spirit is with you and with me in and through these tests. If you read the book of Peter, to put the whole book of Peter in context, he is writing, he calls them the elect exiles. He's actually using that word exile. He's using language. I think he's thinking about uh, the Old Testament exiles in Babylon scattered throughout the Roman Empire. 
And if you read this book, a common thread throughout the book of 1 Peter is the idea of suffering and testing that they are experiencing because of their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. Most scholars believe that the book was probably written between 60 and 65 AD. And if you put that in line with some other references, Nero, many of you have heard of the emperor Nero, was pretty brutal. Uh, He came to power around AD 54. And he, most people believe, was the one that caused the burning of Rome. The burning of Rome happened in AD 64. And of course, many believe he blamed it on the Christians. So when Peter is writing, book. It could be in the midst of Nero. It could be before the burning. It could be after. But in any case, Peter is admonishing them to get ready for some trials. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, he says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 3, he goes on to say, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Interestingly, also, Peter ends his letter by saying this, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Most scholarship, modern scholarship, believes that when Peter wrote this, he was writing from Rome, but he was using the word Babylon. Babylon. Why? Well, we've talked about that in the previous two sermons. City of man, city of God, right? Babylon represents the city of man, goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, trying to construct something, right, in man's efforts, in man's genius, worshiping gods that we create, And he is in the midst, Peter, in Rome at the time, which he calls Babylon. And you see, it's in Babylon where these three young men that we see in today's encounter are going to have a test of their lifetime. And I think when Daniel writes this, you know, if you look at the book of Daniel, he mentions these three guys with him at the beginning, and then it comes to this test, and then after that you don't hear anything else about them. I think the point is he wants to introduce them at the beginning of the book, then show them what great tests they're going to go through. But that great test is put there, I think. It's kind of like the jumbotron. It's like the uh, supersize of testing for believers, for the people that were in that land, to understand how God gets us through tests and trials. Interestingly, too, there are some very key similarities between Babylon and Rome. Number one, they were the known world power, right? So when Peter's writing, Rome is the world power. When when Jeremiah's writing, and when these guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, are living, King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon is the world power. They were the power militarily, economically, politically, and culturally. Number two, both nations were very polytheistic. They had many gods. The more, the merrier, in fact. And the nations that they captured, they would normally let them practice their religion. And a lot of these deities were uh, gods and goddesses that were fertility gods. And so that led to a lot of immoral behavior, both in the Roman Empire and in the Babylonian Empire. Both Rome and uh, Babylon were brutal, brutal to their enemies. But once they conquered them, their goal was to assimilate them. If you recall, I brought that up in the last 
uh, sermon. They tried to assimilate them into their culture and into their nation. And we'll see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are assimilated to the point that they are part of the power structure of Babylon. Both were ruled by a supreme leader, right? Nebuchadnezzar and Caesar, most likely Nero when Peter wrote. And these guys, you have to understand, they were above the gods, right? They were on the top above the gods. And we'll see that in the story with Nebuchadnezzar. But they didn't mind you having religion, but everything apexed what? Into Caesar. In fact, that is why the Christians got into trouble. In the beginning, when Christianity formed, they were kind of aligned with Judaism. And so they were allowed to exist. But then it came to the point when the worship of the emperor became big and where he was above all religions, where Christians had to say, is we going to worship Caesar or are we going to worship God? And that's the same thing that's happening here in Babylon. What did God tell the exiles to do through the prophet Jeremiah? I'll repeat this just for, uh, if you can go back, if you weren't here to hear the sermon. He told them, number one, build houses, live in them, right? Plant gardens, eat the fruit of your garden, be self-sufficient, continue to marry, have children. Seek for the peace, the welfare of the city of Babylon. Pray for the city. Don't listen to the false prophets. Stay true to God's Word And interesting, they, he did not give them a reprieve from obeying God and his commandments. Even though they were in a foreign land and a foreign culture, they were still supposed to obey God and live in relationship with God. And you know, if you read First Peter, he provides very, very similar instructions. He tells them to be good citizens. He tells them to obey the government. He says, conduct yourselves honorably all around with the people. In fact, in First Peter 2.15, he says, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But it's all going to come to a head. It's going to come to a head for some of the Christians in Rome. It's going to come to a head for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (coughs) A little bit about the story. Let's jump now back to Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar had this huge golden statue built, about 90 feet, And it was set up for an inaugural nationwide worship service, right? In the plain of Dura. By the way, the plain of Dura is probably the plain nearby where Shinar was, where the Tower of Babel was built. I do not think this is mere coincidence. So when the Tower of Babel was built, what? They had one language, right? And then it was scattered. Well, here under Nebuchadnezzar, they come back and now they have many languages, Because different cultures have been subsumed under Nebuchadnezzar. And here they're doing the same exact thing, right? They're building this huge idol to worship. So he invites all the political leaders, right? If it was here today, it'd be the city council members, the mayors, county commissioners, congressmen, governors, anybody with local political influence were all invited. They were to come, inaugurate this, go back, tell the people there is a new big idol that we are to worship near Babylon. And he had all the instrumentalists to come by, right, and play their songs. I mean, if this was happening today, we'd have the Marine Corps band, and we would have all these other various bands, right? I did that for you, okay? there. <laughs> We would have these bands. It was a big affair, a big deal, right? 
But these three guys, what? They didn't follow the instructions. By the way, the scripture does not mention Daniel. Some people wonder, well, where's Daniel? Most likely he was back ruling. And it's sort of like, you know, when the, everybody goes to the State of the Union address, you got to keep one secretary somewhere in case, you know, the place. Most likely was that. We don't know. But we know Daniel lived a, an upright life. And even he had a, had a test with the lion's den for his life. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not going to violate commandments one or two, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to any graven images. And certain Chaldeans, these were probably people that were jealous, you know, that these guys had had positions of power and influence and are trying to get them in trouble. Sort of like what happened to Joseph, right? People don't like it when those, those in Christian service rise amongst the man. There's jealousy, So Nebuchadnezzar confronts them, and he gives them a second chance, right, to right their wrong. Now, why did he give them a second chance? Well, I think because he liked them, number one, and I think because they were very important and successful to him having a successful administration. It was Nebuchadnezzar, then Daniel, and these three guys pretty much ran Babylon. So he knew who they were. But here comes the question of truth that Nebuchadnezzar says to him. Is it true... Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? They were brought to a test and they had to make a decision. They could not avoid it. This point of testing for righteousness sake will always come to down this choice. Like Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could easily fall down and serve Nebuchadnezzar and then get back to governing, right? Or they could risk everything, including their lives, to serve the Lord and be obedient to him. I don't think these guys were caught off guard, surprised by this test. They were already tested earlier in the book, right? Daniel and them about eating some of the, the food that they felt convicted they couldn't eat. And so they asked their leader if they could eat vegetables and drink water. And God honored them. So they knew they were in the midst of a pagan culture. But they also knew that they served an uh, almighty God, Yahweh. And so there was conflict. There was conflict there. See, the city of God, the city of man will always clash. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan will clash. Some of the Christians that Peter are writing in the Roman Empire were also going to be put to the test. Renounce Christ or serve the emperor or suffer the consequences. Stand for your faith or be marginalized, be ostracized or even worse, fed to the lions, mocked and scorned in the Colosseum, burned in Nero's gardens. Were all of them martyrs? No. But some were. Peter's epistle was preparing them when he said, don't be surprised when it comes upon you. Now, you know, you and I, by virtue of living in this country, may not be at risk of being put to death for our faith. However, when you look at church history and what's happening today in other countries, if you think about it, Christians in the United States have been very fortunate to not experience much of this testing and persecution. But our culture is rapidly changing around us. And we can no longer find security in our once prevalent Christian consensus or the underbelly, some call Christian capital, that once upheld our 
nation. In fact, you're starting to see it if you watch the news. Christians are starting to risk losing their jobs, their businesses, their reputations for standing for truth, for standing for God's word. Some are losing friends, maybe even family, for standing for truth and righteousness. Churches, whole denominations today are being split, fractured over God's truth. And for some of you that are 50 or older, that great prophetic voice, Bob Dylan. I put this in for Joe. He's not in here, you know. <laughs> he wrote that song. These times are changing. These times are changing. They are in America. But Peter says, don't be alarmed. God is purifying our faith more precious than gold. Sometimes it takes heat to purify us. Got to have the heat applied to get the impurities out. Now, I don't know if I said this example in church before in a Sunday school class, but you know when you start talking a lot, speaking, sometimes you use the same analogies. Now, if I've said this more than once, and after service, grab me and said, "Hey, Rick, I've heard that these five times." Okay, but so when I was in high school, getting ready to go to college, I worked in a steel town. Uh, we, my dad was a steel worker, and I was able one summer to work on a furnace that made steel. And so they had three helpers to make the big old, like a big oven, you know, and they would put scrap metal, bring big uh, crane would drop scrap metal down the oven, and then they'd bring these three electrodes down, and boom, and the electric would come, it would start melting. And then they would open up the shaft, and you'd start throwing in bags of cobalt or magnesium or whatever kind of specialty steel you were making. And then it would all bubble up, and you'd see that orange steel, and then all of a sudden you'd see these little particles of black on top of the steel. And I was a third helper, which was the low man in the pole. My job, one of my job was, they had this chute that you would open up, and you had this two-by-four with another board like that, and they would open it up real quickly, and you would take that and scrape the, the particles that had risen down into this trough so it would be gone, so it would be pure steel. And I remember it was very, very hot. <laughs> And I said, after that, I'm going to college. (laughs) But it was the intense heat that caused the impurities to rise. And many times, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be tested to the ultimate point. And the people in Rome would be, and you and I will someday. I'm not saying we go out and look for these, but they are coming. And we need to be prepared. So do we get discouraged? No. I hope not. So what do we do? Well, we do what Peter says. What did he say to do? Second point, we rejoice in Christ's suffering. We rejoice when we share in Christ's suffering. But wait a minute, are you serious? (laughs) It sounds so counterintuitive. Well, James says the same thing, right? James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Peter even goes on to say that we are blessed... When we are insulted for the name of Christ. Now, none of you like to be insulted, right? Do you like being insulted? No, we all want to be liked, right? Peter says, you're blessed. Where do you get that language from? Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is Jesus speaking. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were in heaven. 
hey, we don't like to be insulted. We want to be liked. I think in our country, we've been used to, we didn't get insulted too much. Now we're starting to get insulted and we want to get mad or we want to cower back. Well, if you're getting insulted for standing up for Christ and for truth, you should be rejoicing that because Christ is being honored in that. Remember what Jesus said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. Nobody says it's easy, and I'm not up here saying it's going to be easy, because everything in our flesh wants to self-protect, right? We want to advance our interests. We don't like it when people don't like us. As I was mentioning in Sunday school class, you know, if they had a thing on Facebook that you could say, hey, I got 100 dislikes today. You know, you're on your Instagram and everybody puts, I don't like that. And everybody's coming. We don't like that. We, we want to be liked. We want to be accepted. But the reality is today for some of the things that we stand for and the truth, you're not going to be liked. And people are starting to find that out. So who do we go to? Where do we draw our strength? Well, Peter provides that answer as well. That's the third point. We must realize it is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is with us in the test. He will strengthen us. Notice in verse 14, Peter said, We are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. You see, we can't do it in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. And we can be confident that he will be with us. So if you need a safe space, you need a safe space, you know where to go for the safe space? Go abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's the safe space. That's the safe space. Did you notice the confidence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar said that question, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? I love their response. He says, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They were prepared to go in the fire and die. And nothing says you and I will be delivered from every test. There are many, many martyrs. In the past, they're martyrs today. But the confidence we can have, what they had, is he will be with us in and through the fire. Jesus said the same thing to the disciples in Luke 12. He says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And Jesus was preparing them. They were going to come into conflict with the religious rulers, the Roman rulers, and everybody. And he says, when they come and they bring you before the courts and they bring you, I will teach you what to say. I will be with you. I love the ending of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I encourage you to go read it. Three men were bound, thrown into the furnace. The fire was so strong, it said that the men who threw him in there died. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste. He said, didn't we throw three men into the fire? And they said, yes, we did. And Nebuchadnezzar said, well, I see four unbound men walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. 
And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Well, who is that fourth person? Was it a pre-incarnate Christ? Was it an angel? Much debate on that. But the point was God was with them in that fourth person. When you read Peter's epistles, which talk so much about trials and testing and suffering, he also appeals to Jesus Christ. You will find the name Jesus Christ 18 times in 1 Peter. He's always talking about Christ because he knows, he said, testing, testing Christ, testing Christ, trials Christ, go to Christ, look to Christ. He's our example. Change your mind. Think like Christ. Why? Because Christ survived the fiery trial and he sits at the right hand of God the Father today making intercession for us. And you know, we can remember his great promise in the Great Commission when he left. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Finally, I'm reminded of the day of Pentecost. Kind of a reverse babble, right? So all these people are up in the upper room praying in the local dialect, most likely Aramaic. And all of a sudden, what happens? So the tongues of fire come upon them. And they start speaking in many different languages. The people outside hear what? The languages of their native country. In fact, it's interesting. It even says the language of Mesopotamia, which would have been this particular area. These tongues appear on each one of them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the languages of other nations including residents of Mesopotamia, telling them of the mighty works of God. This fulfilled the early promise Jesus said to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you today are a Christian, Christ has saved you, you've embraced him in faith, you have this Holy Spirit, and I have this Holy Spirit that lives within us, that has been given to us because Jesus said that wait for it because you will be empowered by it and Peter is saying the same thing reiterating to those that when you go through the fire Christ will go through you with you through the power of the Holy Spirit you and I don't have to go through the fire alone we don't have to go through it alone So then, don't be surprised at them. Rejoice in them. And lean upon his spirit and strength as we go through them. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great story, this example in the Old Testament of these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Lord, it's easy to look at as a story and not having to go through what they had to go through, but and to see the ending, and we love the ending. But Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us that if we are going through testing now or when it comes our way, that you will be with us, that we will have that faith, that strength that those three men had. And Lord, we know we can because of Christ that lives within us, the Spirit of God that you have given us. 
So I pray this morning, Lord, you would encourage, strengthen all of us. Prepare us, Lord, for the testing and trials to come. And let us know that one day, Lord, we will be with you on the other side to rejoice and to enjoy you fully, the one who went through the most fiery trial of all. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.